Well, you should have gotten a worksheet as you came in that has this gray coloring and stuff. If you didn't get one, uh, we'll make sure to get you one after the service. What you could do is put that in that Galatians passage. We'll, we're going to get to that and then head over to 1 John chapter 3 because that's where we're going to start. So put this in Galatians 4. We'll get to it. And then you can go to 1 John chapter 3. And as you turn there, uh, just I want to give a, a quick disclaimer. This, uh, this sermon actually is the same sermon preached back in, I think it was 2014 or something like that, 2015. We did a series on the attributes of God, and this is about knowing God as Father, how God proclaims himself to be the father of his children. Now, the reason for doing the same sermon twice after so many years is, is really twofold. Uh, one is that uh, we want to pay a little bit of attention, as, uh, as we've discussed as an elder team, of just making sure that we are people that are pursuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so next week, actually, we're, we are going to be giving out a personal development assessment that we can all take. Uh, we developed this right before COVID. You might have remembered us talking about this. But it's uh, just a way to kind of walk through, like, uh, character. Are we growing in character? Are we growing in understanding of the Lord? Are we growing in using our, our gifts that God has given to us? Uh, so it's just a way of assessing where we're at and then trying to pay particular attention during this season of life. What can we be doing individually to be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, as Peter commands us to. Uh, so we'll be giving out that assessment. One possible application to that assessment would be to take a class that we will be having starting in the middle of February called Sonship. It's using a material uh, that was developed by a mission organization years ago uh, on sonship or the idea of being children of God. It will be six weeks before the service, beginning February 13th. We'll get you more information. That we're actually going to pass out a sign-up uh, sign sheet because you can get the, a workbook that comes along with it. If, if you listen to the sermon and you think, you know what, thinking about that topic, uh, about what it functionally means to live as a child of God would be helpful, we'd love for you to be at the class. So again, it's six weeks. We'll figure out childcare. Don't let, let that prohibit you. We will figure that out and make sure that we have child care cared for. Um, the other reason why I think it's worth covering a topic like this is I think it's a topic, uh, a theological reality, that you can just never have too often. Sort of like a Culver's concrete mixer, right? You, can, you just cannot have that too many times, at least in my mind. Uh, I, I just think this, this doctrine is so rich uh, that we just cannot hear it uh, enough. Um, but let's not just take my word for it, why I think, I think it's important. Um, I want to read from a section from a chapter by J.I. Packer, uh, who is an author, from his famous book called Knowing God, about the attributes of God. Uh, he's got a chapter in there about knowing God as Father, and this is, this is what he says. Now, J.I. Packer, uh, older gentleman at this time writing, now with the Lord, but this is what he said about this great theological reality. He says this, maybe you've heard this quote, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer that I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. Now, if you, want to, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. 
If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, you know, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. The revelation to the believer that God is his father is, in a sense, the climax of the Bible. I'm going to read that last sentence again, because, again, this is an older gentleman, theologian, author for many years, and listen to what he says about this great doctrine of knowing God as father. He says, the revelation to the believer that God is his father is, in a sense, the climax of the Bible. Now, that's a very interesting statement, because in our circle, I think rightfully so, we pay a lot of attention to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we should. It's just that G.I. Packer, and hopefully you'll see this morning, uh, that's not the end of the story. That's a part that gets us somewhere and gets us to the place where we are actually children of the living God. So let's take a look at 1 John uh, and listen to how the author of 1 John, John the Apostle, celebrates this wonderful idea in chapter 3. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. And I'll pause there just so we hear what he's, going, what he's doing here. This idea of see or behold, I want you to look at something, I want you to think of something. Then he says, what kind of love? Uh, the New American Standard actually translates that as how great the love of uh, of, God, of God. I think that's a, a good, helpful translation, because uh, there's, you know, there's two ways you can say what kind. I could say, hey, let me tell you what kind of ketchups there are, and I'm going to tell you about the 20 different types of ketchup, and they're all just like different kinds. Or I could say, let me tell you what kind of woman I am married to. Now, hopefully, you're, you're assuming I'm going to talk about how great she is, right? Because I'm not just saying she's one among many. I'm saying she is the one among many, right? The, the, the greatness. This is the same word that, that uh, the, the disciples said in the, in the boat after Jesus calms the water, and the, the, the waves, remember? They say, what sort of man is this? So here's John saying, now behold something. I want, I want you to see how great the, the particular type of love that the Father has given to us. Now, where would you expect him to point? You, you might expect him to point to the death and resurrection of Christ. You want to see the greatness of God's love? You want to see how great it is? Look at the cross. He does that in chapter 4, actually, in the same letter. Look at the cross. There you will see God's love manifested clearly. But here, he says, you want to see how great God's love is? You want to look at it? Where does he go? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. This isn't something just in the future. Right now, we are the children of God. And what we will be, well, that has not fully yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when Christ appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I'm not going to be able to unpack all this. What I do want you to see, though, is how practical John uses this idea. Where he goes with this is not just simply that the reality of thinking that we're children of God, but he gets to the point where he says, look, the people who realize that, the people who think like that, they actually purify themselves. 
It actually has a practical outworking. They pursue holiness. Those people who think about that, look at that, that they are children of God, they will pursue holiness. All right, this, this doctrine is actually very, very practical. <clears throat> and I love, I love that God uses this uh, idea because he uses an everyday relationship. Everybody in this room came into the world and had a father. Right? Now, part of the hard part, for some of us, we've had some pretty crummy fathers, uh, and so that, that can feel like, oh, it's, it's hard for me to kind of relate to God as father. But do we not sometimes look at life, and the way to understand something as it really is is to see the negative side of it, right? To be able to look and say, you know what, my dad did that, and you can say, and God is nothing like that. God is the total opposite. Because we all know what a good, a good father should be like. And in fact, some of you have had really great fathers, and we should celebrate that. But even those dads are flawed, are they not? And so they are not the perfect father. Every time they, they act as uh, like God as father, they're, they're just a sliver, just a whisper of what the true heavenly father is like. And so my understanding with this doctrine is really God is giving this, this, this everyday relationship we all walk into as a way of training us day by day, year by year, of what God is like, something like it. Isn't that what Jesus does in, in the Sermon on the Mount? When he's looking at the crowds and he says, now, now which of you, if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, is going to give him a stone? Are any of you going to do that? Or which of you, if, if your son asks you for some fish, is going to give him a serpent? Are any of you dads going to do that? Now, then he says, now you who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more is the heavenly father going to give good gifts to his kids? All right, so Jesus, that's the exact thing Jesus is doing, is using this everyday relationship to give us a little snapshot of what God is like. So what I want to do is just simply explain the idea, explain the, the theological reality, and then we'll reflect on it a little bit using uh, this sheet. I would, I would state it like this, uh, that to know uh, God as Father, or I might, I might say it's all those who are justified before God, uh, know God as Father, meaning, uh, we have two things, meaning that they have new spiritual DNA and they have a new relationship with God. Now, that last section is key. All those who are justified before God are children of God or know God as Father, meaning that they have spiritual DNA, new spiritual DNA, and they have a new relationship with the living God. Those seem to be the two things that the New Testament highlights with this doctrine of knowing God as Father. Uh, John, in particular, in, this, in his letter, actually really focuses on having this new spiritual DNA. He's not necessarily talking relationally about God. We are children of God, meaning uh, sort of like, like father, like son. It's it, it, the, like you, look, you, you do this with your own kids. Like, oh, look, he's acting just like dad, or he, he looks like his, she looks like your mom, or whatever it is, these, these characteristic uh, that come out of the kids, that's the way John is using the, uh, this idea in his letter, uh, that if we are the children of God, we will begin to look like God in terms of the way we act. The second part, though, is that we have a new relationship with God, a new familial relationship. 
Now, this is important for us to think about because we live in a culture that it's, it's not uncommon for people to talk about everybody is a child of God. We're all God's children. Politicians will say that. It's just not a biblical reality. It's not a biblical thought. Now, let's think about this. Remember, uh, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but Ephesians 2. How, do, how does Ephesians 2 describe us coming into the world? It says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. He calls us, uh, we were carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature, do you remember the phrase? We were by nature children of wrath. We're not children of God when we come into the world. We're children of wrath. We're dead in sin and trespasses. We want nothing to do with God. Later in the chapter, he says we were without God and without hope in the world. Or Jesus talking to the crowds. He looks at them and says, Well, you are of your father, the devil. (laughs) It's how he talks to the people. Who's your dad? The devil. That's how we come into the world. Or Colossians. It says we're, those who are born again are transferred from the kingdom uh, or the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. That we're under the rule of darkness. Or in Romans 5, how does he describe us? That we were enemies of God. It's not just that like, oh, you know, we don't get along or we don't talk to our neighbors, you know, six doors down because we don't really know them and we just don't know God. Now, we're described as people who come into the world as enemies of God. We hate God. We don't like God's rule. We don't want God's rule over our life. And according to Psalm 5, 5 and 11, 5, God hates sinners. God hates the, the boastful. God hates those who reject his rule. So the, the, the scriptures paint a very uh, bleak picture of us coming into the world. Now, the reason why we want to see that is because it makes the gospel such great news. It's we have to first see how, how bad the predicament is so that we can see how great the good news is because the, the gospel says that Christ, who knew no sin, actually became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. It's, it's, it's what we call uh, justification, right? It's, it's God declaring us not guilty, but in fact righteous before the judge. That's great news. To be standing before God, as people who have rejected him, who are guilty before him, and God the judge looking at us and saying, you are not guilty. Based on the righteousness of another, you are free to go, to be wiped clean. That is great news, is it not? I mean, we should all celebrate that. But it's not the end of the story. It goes farther. And let's go now to the Galatians passage. We won't read the whole thing again. Just want you to see the movement of this. Uh, Verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Okay, so there's this idea of redeeming us from being under the law. The law, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 13, it uses a similar language. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
Or verse 24 in chapter 3. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So here in chapter 4, verse 4, he's getting after this idea of justification. Christ came and has justified us. He has made us right before God. That's great news. But then notice where it goes in verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see that? We were redeemed. We were made right before God. But there was a purpose to that. The purpose in this text is to bring us into relationship with God, an adoption. So now adoption in, was uh, present in the culture. People, they practiced adoption. It was a little bit different from our day uh, now on some accounts or in, in some ways. Um, but typically, the way an adoption would happen in those days would be somebody was very wealthy, and they didn't have a, a son. Because remember, the inheritance was passed through the son. The name is carried on by the son. So somebody has a lot of wealth, they have a lot of land, property, whatever it is, but they don't have a son to pass everything on. So where's the legacy going to go? And so what this wealthy gentleman would then do is adopt a son. He would go out into the community and find a young man. It's typically not like a child, like a child, but a younger man, 18, 19, 20 years old, somewhat established, that he could watch the character of that person and say, that one right there, I'm going to choose him to, to carry on my name, and I'll give the whole inheritance to him. Now, what would happen in the adoption is that everything that that son uh, originally was attached to, so all any debts that he had or any inheritance that he had with his previous family are totally cut off. And he is now a true adopted son of this wealthy man to carry on the full inheritance. Now, adoption actually is fairly close to like that in our day and age. It's not like wealthy to to someone in the community like that, necessarily. But we, it's a very similar thing happens. When you adopt a child into your family, they are the true child legally and have the full rights to the inheritance. In fact, when we adopted Dupree several years ago, I remember, uh, so we went there to the the courts for adoption day. Uh, I, I would, was not aware of this. They said uh, that either Danica or myself had to go up to the stand and be a witness, and we weren't aware of that, so Danica pushes me up there. So now I got to go up on stand, right? And uh, the, the woman, uh, she, I, I don't know if she was messing with me, but she's, the, the judge, she started asking me, like, you know, Mr. Allen, what's your address? And what's your wife's birthday? And I was so nervous. I got it all right. So I was glad for that. But uh, she looked at me then and said, so Mr. Allen, are, are you aware that by adopting Dupree into your family, that you take on the full responsibility of raising him, and he will have the full rights to inheritance just like your other biological children. Are you aware of that? Now, in my heart, I said two things. I said, yes, of course he is. I welcome that. I enjoy that. Bring him into the family. And the other thing that I said is, that's the gospel right there. That is the gospel. God brings us into the family that we have the full inheritance. We are true children of God. In the same way anybody in our culture adopts someone into the family and says they're mine and they're full right, they have full rights to the heir, the kingdom of, of my house. In the same way, God says to, to his children, you have full rights. And look at Galatians again, because that's exactly where Paul goes. 
Verse 6, it ends verse 5, we might receive adoption as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. So you see where he's taking this. Now, some actually think uh, that this, the idea of the Spirit giving testimony there, when, when there was an, an adoption, somebody had to be there to testify about the adoption. So some think Paul might actually be doing that here with the Spirit, that the Spirit is testifying in the same way an adoption is. Nonetheless, he's saying, look, justification happens so that you would actually come into the family and now you are true children of God and heirs of the kingdom. Listen to where J.I. Packer then goes later in his, in his book. So you see this. He says, adoption, adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and his fellowship. He, he establishes us as his children and heirs, closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of this relationship. Now listen to what he says. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, right? To be right with God the judge is a wonderful, fantastic thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater thing. You see, what J.I. Packer's point here is, is in theory, just think in theory, God could have forgiven us of our sin through the death and resurrection of Christ. Repentance and faith and trusting in him, God could have said, could have said you're free. You are not guilty. But stay over there. I've had enough of you. You've demonstrated how untrustworthy you are. I know the type of person you are. I'm not going to pour out judgment on you, but stay over there. Now, that would actually still be good, right? I mean, wouldn't that be better than receiving the judgment of God? But what J.I. Packer is pointing out is that would be great, right? But this is greater. Because this is talking about God bringing us into his family. And it's meant to conjure up thoughts of protection and care and affection and love, enjoyment, authority. Now, this also is not a new idea in the New Testament, really. This it's, is an idea that comes from the Old Testament. But something happens of a shift. So in the Old Testament, uh, by count, uh, it's, it's said that 15 times throughout the Old Testament, this idea of God being father is uh, demonstrated. So like God, uh, God uh, raised up Israel as, as his son, right? So 15 times in the Old Testament. In the Sermon on the Mount alone, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus refers to this 16 times. So just in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, talks about it more than the whole Old Testament. In the Gospels alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 165 times. So what has happened with Jesus coming on the scene in his death and resurrection is, is really catapulting this forward, bringing this into full light, what the death and resurrection meant, is bringing us actually into the family of God. And one other way to think about this, if you think about the Old Testament, when, uh, 
when God revealed his covenant name to his people and how, how his people ought to pray to God. How, how did God teach his people to pray in the Psalms? O Yahweh, our Lord. Right? It, it's O Yahweh. And what is Jesus? How does Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father. Right? They're both great. It's just one is highlighting this close familial relationship. Or in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about your father sees everything you do in secret. Or your father knows everything you need before you even ask. It's this closeness, affection, and care that is supposed to characterize uh, this theology. Now, that's all one thing. Uh, That's all the explanation of it. That's all theory, right? And probably to all of us, or most of us, it's not something amazingly new, right? Maybe there's a couple pieces along the way, but for the most part, you, you know, you, you've heard this stuff, that God is our Father. Right? At least if you've read your Bible, you've seen that. The question is whether we actually live like that, right? That we woke up and entered into this day as people who really thought about the reality that the living God cares for me as a perfect father would care for his kids, Is that how we entered into the day? Is that how we're going to enter into the week ahead of us? That God, our Father, cares for us. This is what we're going to do then with this. uh, Use our little worksheet here. This is one way uh, to think about this. Uh, This this comes from the material that uh, those who take the class will, there'll be something like this. We'll use this one because I took it from the material, beefed it up a little bit. Um, This is the way this works. On the left side, It says, those living as if orphaned by God. Remember Jesus in John 14 says, I will not leave you as orphans. Uh, But the reality is sometimes we we live uh, functionally in life as if God has left us or he's not a very good father. So I'll I'll give you an example. But the left side is all a statement referring to those living as if orphaned by God. All the statements on the right would be for those living as if they truly are children of God. They They have God as father. And what you would do is go across the row, and there are going to be contrasting statements, right? On the right side, uh, and on the left side, on the outer extremes, it's sort of the idea of like, yes, I live like that a lot. And as you come towards the middle, it's sort of like, well, I'm kind of more in the middle. Sometimes one, sometimes the other, right? Um, So because this is really like a continuum, it's not necessarily like, you know, when you go to the eye doctor, A, B, A, or B, which one is it? Uh, this is a little bit more like, well, I, I don't know, both? I don't, I don't know, I can't tell. Um, that's the way this kind of reads, this c- continuum. But let me, let me give you an example, because what I like to do, I go through this slowly, then I mark it uh, right on the row where I am, so you can see my, my red marks, and I'm all over the map. I think if you do this honestly, you are going to find yourself living as an orphan quite often. I think out of the 30... What are the 32 on here? 34? I think 14 of mine were on the orphan side. Nine were right in the middle. And 11 were on the living as a child of God side. And they're all to different degrees, too. Some are on the extreme. I think if we're honest, we're going to be all over the map. And that's the benefit of doing something like this, is you actually start to realize, like, certain aspects of your life, you actually aren't living as if God's a good father. And then we can repent and turn from that and ask God to grow us. So let's read through a couple. And I like to think through examples of how I can illustrate that, you know, as I'm thinking about it. But even take the first one. 
Those who are living as if they are orphaned by God are fearful and sidelined by the unknown tomorrow. They doubt God to be there in wisdom, grace, and power. But those living as children of God, they're confident and hopeful in the unknown tomorrow, knowing that their wise and gracious Father will be there with complete control. Or number six, similar. Uh, those living as if orphaned by God, they rarely take risks for the kingdom because the way to the unknown outcome is overbearing. Those living as children of God regularly take risks for the kingdom, knowing that the outcome is not ultimately up to them. So I, number one, I am on the orphan side. Uh, I struggle with anxiety, fear of the future at times. Uh, so I marked myself more on the orphan side. Um, here would be an example of how I have thought about this, about living as a child. Um, So this was actually when our our oldest was two, so this is going 11 years ago. We're reading through uh, the the story of Joseph with Tally, and uh, one of the ways Danica and I were going to try to illustrate how Joseph trusted in the Lord, even though he couldn't see uh, what what was next, was we we tried to do a, what, what do you call it, like a trust walk, put blindfolds on each other. So... Danica was up first. We put a blindfold on Danica. Tally grabs one side of her, one hand. I grab the other side. And we start walking around our little apartment in West Dallas. And do you know how Danica, like, handled that? She was really slow. And I thought, I've been married to you for how many years? You don't even trust me? Like, so then, of course, I'm going to put the blindfold. And I ended up doing the same thing. Because... You know, I don't want to fall. If I trip and fall, I'm getting older. It takes a while to recover and such. But so, <laughs> so, so we put the blindfold on Tally, two years old. I grab one hand. Tally grabs one hand. How do you think she did it? She, she didn't have an ounce of hesitation. Now, why in the world is that? It's because her whole world is trusting mom and dad. And if a, if a child has a mom and dad that they think they can truly trust, you can put a blindfold on that kid and they'll walk right through the apartment, not even thinking. Why? Because they trust mom and dad know what they're doing. They're not going to intentionally steer you into something bad. You can trust them. You can, you can let go of trying to control everything. Would it not be amazing to enter into this week not feeling like you have to control the world? but that you could actually trust the living God, all-powerful, all-wise, all-faithful, to actually care for you? I would love that. I mean, sometimes when Jesus talks about to become like a child, that's really good news, like really good wisdom, right? Wouldn't that be great? But, you know, the reality is, is that we sometimes just simply don't trust God to be there. We, We don't trust that God's going to help. We don't, you know, Dupree still he'll have a bad dream. He's almost seven here. He'll have a bad dream in the middle of the night. What do you think his first impulse is when he's afraid? He doesn't sit there and cry and scream. He doesn't sit there and, like, think about it for five, ten minutes and get all nervous. You know what he does? He jumps out of bed and runs into my room. Why? Because dad can help. Dad's the place of safety. And how many of us, I know for myself, when I'm scared of the world, what am I doing? I'm all in my own thoughts. I'm think going inward. Like, how much am I actually running to my father who actually can help me? 
Now, it might not be turned out as I planned, but if he's truly good and loving and wise, I can put that blindfold on and walk in faith. Would that not be freeing? But you know, the truth is, we think that God is fairly stingy. We think God's a little bit more like us. Yeah? One of my favorite meals uh, is leftovers. Usually it doesn't, uh, it doesn't matter what it is. I lo- I've always loved leftovers. My favorite would be pasta, uh, especially like a pasta bake or lasagna. Just fantastic, right? Um, all really gelled together. The flavors are really just popping on day two. Day two lasagna is even better than day one. How is that possible? I don't know. But here's what happens typically in our home on leftover pasta bake or lasagna day. Those, uh, the kids nor myself are, can be trusted to divide the leftovers because all of us are going to grab <laughs> the bigger piece, right? So Danica always gets that task. She divides the pieces. Now, thankfully, my wife often gives me the bigger piece, right? Now, I am bigger. I'm the bigger, biggest of the family. What usually happens is when the kids finish theirs, they look over at mine, and they ask if they can have some of that. Now, what do you think I do as their dad who loves them? I say, no. <laughs> Daddy's bigger. I need, I need the energy. That's, that's mine. Now, you would think that I actually gave it to him, but I don't. Why? Because we're selfish at the end of the day. Well, I'm not always ready to just serve my kids. I still am thinking about myself often. And the reality is that sometimes we think God is quite stingy, that he'll hold back. He's not actually going to give him his whole self. Maybe he'll be looking at his cell phone instead of actually paying attention to me. Because that's what we do. You, though evil sometimes know how to care for your kids and sometimes give them good gifts and sometimes will share your food. How much more will your Father in Heaven care for you? Would it not be fantastic to enter the week saying, I can trust God as my Father who knows what's best for me. I'm going to loosen my grip on the world. Oh, how delightful that would be. That's why I think this doctrine is so incredibly practical to actually rig dig down deep into it. Let me, let me do another one here. Uh, let's read number 12. Uh, Those who live as orphaned by God are terribly embarrassed when they fail in a task, fearing that people and or God will be embarrassed to be associated with them. Those who live as children of God, they're free to try at a task and fail, knowing that their significance is not in performance and that their father loves to watch them try. And go over to number 27. Similarly, uh, those orphaned by God or living as orphaned by God, they live ranking themselves with other people, producing pride or depression. When they are outdone, they're miserable. And when they do better than other people, life feels good. But those living as children of God, they rejoice in the accomplishments of other people, and they genuinely encourage anyone uh, less successful than them uh, as they are. These two, I, I also find myself in the orphan side. Uh, I, I live ranking myself. compared. I compare myself to other people. And I fear rejection. 
I love the opinions of other people. I mean, one of the reasons why like, I just felt like, man, I need to think about this topic more is just, uh, what was it, like a week and a half ago, uh, this organization, some of you guys know I, I like, uh, like preaching workshops. This organization, Simeon Trust, that I've, I've been at their workshops quite a bit, they, they sent myself and a couple guys an email asking if we could travel. One of us, they needed one of us to travel out to uh, California to be a, a small group leader. And I thought, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to go. Uh, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. I got I to gotta check on the channels, you know, and to make sure that it, it all works for me. By the time I actually got it all worked out, one of the other guys took it. And you know what I did for the next several hours? Uh, yeah, I, got, I can't believe they chose the other guy. Who am I? Do I even know what I'm doing? I moped around for the last couple in the next couple hours. Why? Because I felt rejected. I wasn't the one chosen. And you know what you call that? Misery. Right? That, that's pretty pathetic. I'm 43 years old. And I still live like that. I still, I've shared before, I, I still live like when I uh, am playing softball and my girls are there, uh, especially my oldest enjoys watching now, if I hit a weak ground ball, I am so embarrassed. I fear that she's probably watching and thinking like, oh, that's not my dad, I don't know who that is. Like, why do I think like that? That is very, very childish. But that's me, that's my inner core. I want the approval of other people. I've been doing push-ups around the house, and I, one of them said, wow, Dad, you're doing great. I think, yeah, I'm important now. Why do I love the opinions of other people? I want people to say how great of a sermon this is. I'm going to be thinking about it. Like, please tell me. That's, that's misery. It's misery. If we, you live like that, you are shackled. Wouldn't it be great to actually walk into a room and not rank yourself to other people? And not, not always comparing. Wouldn't it be great to be okay to try something and not, not fear rejection? Why would that be free? So I think, I think of the way, one of the ways is just simply realizing how, I try to think about how much a parent or a father or a mother loves even the silly things the kids do that aren't great, nothing to write home about, but the parents are crazy about that. Even before we came up here, where did I put this? This picture Drew Dupree, Dupree uh, was drawing. I have no clue what some of this stuff is. Right? I, I think that one's either a spider or a uh, dog with part of its back broken or something. I have no idea what that is. But if I had an office, I would, I would be very proud to pin that on the wall. And if somebody came by and made fun of it or said, what is that? Who's drawing that? I would, you'd, you'd probably wouldn't get out of the office for an hour. Because I'm going to tell you how much I love that drawing and how much, how, how much I love when he does that and the way he makes his face as he's drawing or whatever it is. Because I'm crazy about him. Or, you know, when he's, he's playing basketball now and he shoots an air ball. Could you imagine if, you know, some other parent was like, look at that kid shooting an air ball. I'd probably be like, that's the best air ball I've ever seen. Nobody shoots air balls like that kid. I love it. And what I would want him to experience is the acceptance of dad far outweighs the opinions of other people. I don't need to live for the approval of other people when I have acceptance of dad. The sad part is, you and I, we'd rather have the acceptance of other people than Almighty God. 
And I find like a, a doctrine like this helpful for me to see the sin in my own heart that I'm actually living for the approval of other people. And so I can repent and turn and say, God, I want to trust you. I want to live under your approval. And if I have that, I don't have to go out and try to find it from other people. And oh, what a freeing week that would be to not live for the approval of other people. Well, I know time is running out here, so let's, uh, let's just do one more because we have to at least hit this one. Uh, we can do this brief. But if you, if you do this, if you take this home and spend some time reflecting on it, uh, you will find things uh, that demonstrate you're living as, an or- as if God has orphaned you. Uh, and that's why you have to do number 34. You, you, can't, you can't skip that one. Because <clears throat> we, we have to think about this. Those living as if orphaned by God, they keep distant from God after they sin, hoping that their self-pity will pacify God, afraid that running to God is, is almost abusing God's grace and, and that God must be annoyed with them. Those living as children of God, they move toward God after they sin. They know that their father's arms, though grieved, are open wide with forgiveness and grace and power to help. I think this one's important to, to think about because you will, like I said, find yourself uh, living uh, as, a, a, as an orphan which by, for which we should repent. But that should not send us away from God. We should not think that as we go through this in areas that demonstrate how we're not trusting in the Lord, that God's like, see, you sit over there now, sit in a timeout. Like, that's not how God treats his kids. God, God calls us to himself in our sin. I, I, I mean, I, I remember having this, uh, I, I mean, I just remember the first time our daughter lied to us. And, you know, you you think this sweet little two-year-old or however old she was, like, never done anything bad in her life, and now she lied to me. Straight-faced. Now, do you know what I did when I, as her dad? She ran upstairs, and you know, do you think I wanted her sulking up in her bedroom for the next three hours? No. I don't want that. Now, that's the way we treat each other as adults, right? Like, we, we want, we want, I want you to feel bad. But that's not how we treat our kids. No, as her dad in that moment, I'm not saying, yeah, she better feel up, be out there, be really sad for the next three hours. No, I say, no, come on, honey. Come on, bring it out. Bring it out. Restore this. Come on. I'm waiting. Yes, I, yes, I'm grieved with your sin. I'm not happy with it. But daddy is here. Come, I have a huge hug for you. Come on. Come, restore. Let's go. Come on, I, I will forgive you. Come on. We are people adopted into the family of God, and sinners though we be, we are welcomed right back into the arms of God. And so this exercise is meant to expose our sin, yes, but then move us right into the the arms of our Father. Because based on the death and resurrection of Christ, he will care for us and forgive us in those moments. And so that's why we also turn to the Lord's Supper, to trust that we, we know God as Father, not because of us, not because of something great we are. In fact, we're we're not the cream of the crop. God actually went into enemy territory to adopt us into his family. But it's because of the death of Christ that we are righteous before God. And so if you're a follower of Christ here this morning, we invite you to the table. Uh, those who partake of the Lord's Supper, we are called to be uh, striving to grow in grace, to walk by faith. Uh, that's a stumbling faith at times, right? Uh, it's about direction, not perfection. 
So if that's you, uh, we invite you to the table. If you're here this morning and you are not a worshiper of Christ, that he is the Son of God who died in the place of sinners, rose from the dead, then we ask that you not partake. Or if you're here this morning and you uh, profess it with your mouth, but you don't walk it, you don't live under the authority of Christ, we ask that you not partake in the table. Uh, scripture says it would be bad for your soul, actually. Uh, but if you are a follower of Christ uh, and, and striving to walk it out by faith, we invite you to the table. Come grab the elements, return to the ta- uh, your table, and then we will partake together. Believers, let us be reminded that uh, because of the death of Christ, God has caused us to be born again by faith, meaning that that sin that is such a struggle, God gives us power to fight against it. We have been changed from the inside out. We have now have new spiritual DNA because we are the children of God because of the death of Christ. For the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it saying, this is my body, which is for you. Believer, remember that he who did not spare his only son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? We who are now his children. I don't know what you have this week, follower of Christ, but you enter into it with God as Father, one who will be there to care for you, to guide you, and even if it does not go anything as planned, He will still be wise and loving, gentle, patient. For you are his child because of the the death of Christ on your behalf. For the Lord Jesus, in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup, it is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let us stand and pray together. God, what, what mercy. Why should us of all people of the world be called children of God? But you have declared it, God. You have opened our eyes to see and behold the truth of the gospel. We now receive it. We receive it by faith. And now, Lord, help us to walk in it, to live in the good of being called the children of God.